There was this woman, she was coming home from a business trip uh, from Northern California, and she was driving, or Northern Arizona, and as she was driving, uh, she sees this elderly Navajo woman just walking alongside the road, and she pulls the car over, stops, and asks the elderly Navajo woman if she'd like a ride, and she just nods her head yes, and she gets into the car, and, and the businesswoman continues on driving down the road, and the elderly Navajo woman, she's just taking in everything in the car, looking at everything, and then she suddenly looks down and she sees this white package next to the businesswoman, and she says, what's that? And the businesswoman looked down and she kind of smiled, and she said, it's a box of chocolates. I got it for my husband. And there was just silence, just silence. And the Navajo woman finally said, good trade. <laughs> Some of you will get it. It's, 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 it's one of my more intellectual jokes. And, and, uh... Well, this morning we're going to continue our uh, series, our study in the book of 1 John, and I've entitled the message, The Heart of Christianity. The Heart of Christianity. Lord, I do love humor, and I uh, love worshiping you, and I'm so thankful to be able to worship with brothers and sisters this morning, especially as we move towards the Christmas season. We have a lot of, to rejoice about. We have a lot of reasons to have joy. And so, Lord, I just ask that uh, as we turn now and look at a serious word, a word that I know is just near and dear to your heart, that you will give us soft hearts and ears to hear, and that you will truly fill me, and the words I speak will be truly your words, Lord. And so I'm just thanking you now for what you're going to accomplish in this congregation here. And I just praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. It is true that at the very heart of Christianity is love. In fact, the Apostle John, who oftentimes is called the Apostle of Love, wrote in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8 that God is love. And because God is love, John spends a lot of uh, his letter in 1 John talking about love. We're going to look at a set of scriptures both in chapter 2 and chapter 4. 1 John, can you put those up, Tim? If anyone claims I am living in the light but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is still living in darkness. Anyone who loves another brother or sister is living in the light and does not cause others to stumble. But anyone who hates another brother or sister is still living and walking in darkness. Such a person does not know the way to go, having been blinded by the darkness. And then he writes John in 1 John chapter 4, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed us how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. And God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and that he is in us. Furthermore, we have seen that with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world, 
All who confess that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. We know how much God loves us, and we put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And we live in God. Our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment, and this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he loved us first. If someone says, I love God, but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people, we can see how can we love God whom we cannot see. And he has given us this command, those who love God must also love their Christian brothers or sisters. There is a lot of love in the passages that I just read. And I want you to remember one of the great reasons why the Apostle John wrote the letter First John is to give us tests, a series of tests. These tests are to determine the genuine from the false, from the pseudo-Christian. This morning, we have a test of love. The question is for you, and the question is for me. Will I pass the test of love that John gives us? Now, to pass the test of love, of course, we have to understand what love is. And a couple of weeks ago, I told you that in the Greek language, there are four main verbs or words for love. And interestingly enough, in chapter 2 and chapter 4, all of the passages that we read on love, John uses just one, one of those words, agape. Agape. And it is the highest form of love, often called divine love. It is a selfless love. It seeks nothing in return. Is your love like that? That it seeks nothing in return? Is my love like that? You know, it's so easy in our culture to get confused because love is sung about, talked about, probably more than anything else, yet we really rarely understand love. So I want to go over the real definition of agape love again. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7, just to refresh our memory. And again, it's very interesting that these verses are generally read at a wedding, appropriately so, rarely followed. Let's look Let's talk about agape love. Here's, what, here's the definition, starting at verse 4. Love is patient. By the way, patience has nothing to do. You're not patient with things. We're patient with people. Look at the person next to you. Are you patient with them? Long-suffering? Ouch. By the way, Frank is patient. Just put your name in there. Frank is kind. In other words, I see a need, a genuine need, and if I can fill it, I do. Frank is not envious, better than jealous. That means I don't covet what you have. I don't covet your spouse. I don't covet your titles or degrees. I don't covet anything other than what God has given me. It's not boastful. In other words, Frank is not full of hot air, always talking about himself and his accomplishments. Frank is not proud. That means I don't think I'm better than you because I'm standing up here. I just happen to be standing up here, um, still trying to figure that out, actually. (laughs) Now, this one's kind of interesting. It says, Frank is not rude. You know, uh, Susan and I were in Pittsburgh visiting uh, one of my daughters, uh, her husband, and, and, and the grandkids. And so we were coming back from Pittsburgh, 
And, uh, you know, and we were driving on this highway, and have you ever seen it? For some reason, they were doing construction work. And uh, it said, hey, you know, two miles, three miles up the road, left lane's going to end. Left lane's going to end. So what would, a, what, what, what would a loving person do? You begin, to, <laughs> you, begin, you begin to pull over, don't you, into the right lane. And so I get in this long line of cars, right? But then you have what I call the VIPs the very important people. And those are the ones that don't need to pull over in the right lane. And there you are, you know, you're two miles back and you're just watching these cars just whiz by and you're wondering why you're not moving. You're not moving because these pinheads think they're special. And, and so they wait till the very end and then they put their, I, lo- I love it, they put their blinker on expect you to move over. Now I'm not the most Christian guy sometimes. It's pretty hard to let them in. I'll let you think about it. It says, love is not easily irritated. That was a test for me. But those, that, see, that's rude. Okay, that's rude. Love does not demand its own way. It's not selfish. Love is not irritable. Love is not a hothead. It keeps no record of long. We talked about love does forgive, really forgives. doesn't mean you forget. It just means you don't bring it up again. You pay the price. You pay the price. I pay the price. It does not rejoice with injustice or evil or wrongdoing. See, there is a right and a wrong, but true love rejoices when the truth wins out. Love never gives up. It never loses faith. It's always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. See, that's real definition of agape love. How'd you do? Well, Phil Koch and Jonathan Bach recently published a book entitled The Way Back. Tim, can just put up the book cover. You know, in the book, it's a very interesting book because they discuss why the early church was so successful at impacting its culture, and we here in America are not impacting our culture at all. I just want to read you an excerpt from the book. Listen to this. Please listen carefully. How did the early church transform the Western world in such a relatively short period of time? They did it because they did things that baffled the Romans. The early church didn't pick it. They didn't boycott. They didn't gripe about what was going on in their culture. They just did things that astonished the Romans. They took in their abandoned babies. They helped the sick and the wounded. They restored dignity to the slaves. They were willing to die for what they believed. After a while, their actions so softened the hearts of the Romans that they wanted to know more about who these Christians were and who was their God. Without confrontation, protest, or debate, love did its work. End of quote. Wow. Now, that's convicting to me. The early church stood out from its culture. How did it stand out from its culture? By not being nasty, not being mean-spirited, but they loved. Their behavior was so different, so refreshing, so countercultural, they actually baffled the average Roman. You see... One thing is absolutely certain, the true non-Christian, the true non-believer, they cannot agape. Did you know that? They cannot agape. John makes it clear in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8. Tim, you know, put up the verses in verses 7 and 8. You can put them up again, Tim. But he makes it clear there that, dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes where? Love comes from God. So therefore, only God can truly agape. Now get this. And only true believers, only true born-again believers can agape 
another person. The startling reality is, do you know that a non-believer, a non-church person, they can eros, they can eros. In other words, they can love in a romantic and sensual way. You see, it's powered by physical attraction. That's what eros is. And a non-Christian can do that. A non-Christian, by the way, can philios. That's the love of friends. And they can love another person as a friend. Because, see, philios says this. If you love me or if you like me, then I will like you. A non-Christian can storge. See, that's a love of family members. It's instinctual love. It's the love that a mother has for her child. And it says, I will love you because I should love you. But you know what? A non-Christian cannot agape. A non-believer cannot agape. That's divine love. That's a perfect love. That's a selfish love. And a non-church, non-believer, non-born-again person can't do it. Now, do you want an example of agape love? John actually gives us one. Tim, can you put up the scriptures in 1 John chapter 4 and verses 9 through 10? God showed us how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that God loved, but that he loved us and he sent his son as a sacrifice to take our sins away. Tim, put up the picture. That's what he's talking about. That's agape love. You understand? Jesus is very God. I mean, I want you to understand it just, just ask the Spirit to help you grab hold of this. Jesus was experiencing the glories of heaven, and he chose to put on human skin 2,000 years. We're going to be celebrating that in about a month. And he jumps into human skin. Why does he jump into human skin? Because it's so much fun down here? No. He lived a perfect life to die. Don't kid yourself. The Jews... And the Romans didn't ultimately put him on the cross. Jesus allowed it. Why? He allowed his blood to be spilt for your sin and my sin, for your punishment and my punishment. He took our place. He experienced hell for us. And all you and I need to do to receive that is to honestly trust and recognize that he and he alone can save you. Come on, it's time that we recognize we're flawed to the core. We're selfish to the core. And all I need to do, I look, and, and, and Jesus' love was so great for me, I was such a narcissist. I was such a jerk. And he did it all. And all I need to do is trust in it. Trust in what he did on the day. He alone, his death will save me. His death will truly save me. Now, I want to ask you something. And if I trust him, I get life. I get eternal life. What did Jesus get for doing that for me? Pain. No, no. Jesus got tons and tons of pain. That, my friend, is agape love. That is agape love. And rarely, rarely, come on, rarely do we see that kind of love in this world. Rarely do we see that kind of selfless love. But yet, here's what John says to us. Now, I want you to consider this. If you're a believer, listen to these words now. Tim, put them up. 1 John chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Now watch this. So if you're a believer and you consider yourself a believer, dear friends, since God loved us, he's speaking now to believers, we surely ought to, we surely ought to, no one has ever seen God. 
But if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression. I mean, let that sink in. That is powerful. John is saying, Frank, if you're truly born again, if, if, if you're truly born again, you've got that new nature, you've got the power of the Holy Spirit, you are even going to love Jeff. Or Matt. You are going to genuinely love agape them. In fact, John gives us a real warning here. Put that warning up, would you? Chapter 2. If anyone claims I am living in the light but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is living in darkness. They're lying. Anyone who loves a brother or sister is living in the light and does not cause others to stumble. But anyone who hates another brother or sister is still walking in darkness. That person is lost and doesn't know the way to go. That person does not know the way to go. I want to make now two, two very important, draw two very important conclusions here from these verses that we've looked at. First, Lone Ranger Christianity is an oxymoron. Lone Ranger Christianity is an oxymoron. You know, I do a fair amount of witnessing during the year talking probably to hundreds and hundreds of people. Some of them are clearly not Christians. Some of them are quasi-Christians, and some of them claim to actually be born again that we will run into. And here's the most disturbing trend that I see occurring in the church. The most disturbing trend is this. I have people tell me time and time again, oh, yes, I'm born again. I'm a Christian. And I'll ask them, well, where do you fellowship? Where do you go to church? (laughs) I don't really go. Really? And they have no intention, no intention of belonging to a fellowship of believers. And then they invariably will give me the line. You know what the line is? The line is this. Well, the church, you don't have to go to church to be saved. You ever heard that line? Come on, come on. How many have heard? You don't have to go to church to be saved. And you know what? There's some truth to what they say there. It is true. Just because you come here this morning, just because you come here week in, week out, doesn't make you a Christian. Any more than me standing in my garage and going vroom, vroom makes me a Maserati. All right? So we'll agree upon that. But but listen, let's be clear on this point. John says this. He says, Frank, if you're truly born again, if you're truly born, truly my child, then you will love my children. You will love my brother. You will love the brothers and you will love the sisters. Now, if you don't belong to a fellowship, how in the world can you love fellow Christians? How how can you do that? How can you love fellow brothers or sisters? See, if you're really born again, if you've got the new nature, if you've got the Holy Spirit, it puts it in you to love people. It puts you, it, it, the Holy Spirit, your new nature puts it in you to love the person next to you. See, if you don't have that desire, you got to do a gut check. Did you realize that these people are your family? You see, one of the great American heresies is blood. Oh, blood is my family, right? We say that. And do you, uh, you know, I, I want to just be honest with you here. Do you realize that some of the blood, your family members, you will not see in eternity? Because they're really not real family members anymore. Jesus said, who are my mother and my brother and my sisters? Anyone who does the will of God, anyone who's truly born again. 
their family. Now look at the person next to you. Look at the person next to you. Look at the person down the row. Now, if, if, if you claim to be born again and they're born again, guess what? They're family. And if you're not getting along with them now, I suggest you start getting along with them. Because you're going to have a long eternity. And you know what? I think God has a sense of humor. You know what I think he's going to do? See, we, we each think we're getting our own mansion. Really a bad translation to understand. Do you realize there's just one huge mansion? You get a room. And guess who your roommate's going to be? You figure it out. All right, secondly, the second conclusion that we need to draw here from from these verses that we looked at is how we treat one another. Now listen to this, how we treat one another. How we love one another will determine how effective we are in reaching our culture for Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus said this on his final night on planet Earth. He prayed his longest prayer, at least recorded prayer in John chapter 17. We call it the high priestly prayer. Here's part of that prayer. Jesus prayed. I am praying, Jesus said, not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. Let me tell you something. The God of the universe loves unity. No, no. He loves harmony. He loves oneness, even in his creation. One of the guys I used to love listening to was a guy by the name of Paul Harvey. And Paul Harvey had a a radio show, national radio show called The Rest of the Story. And on one of the programs, he featured the blue whale. Tim, put up that picture. Now, I was shocked. Did you know that the blue whale is the biggest mammal ever to exist on this planet? I didn't know that. It's the biggest, bigger than any dinosaur. It is the biggest mammal, as far as we know, to exist on planet Earth. Now, blue whales do not talk, but do you know something? Blue whales do sing. And according to Paul Harvey, here's the rest of the story. Harvey said that blue whales, listen to this, sing the same song at the same time all around the world. And do you know what that song is? I've gotta be me. I've gotta be me. No, I'm just kidding. That was horror. Thank God they don't sing like that, huh? Actually, I think it's a blue whale polka, maybe, huh? No, I don't know. But as I understand, now listen to this, you know, blue whales are not like your typical white suburban congregation. You know, we're about as loud as a Timex watch ticking, quartz watch. It's about how loud we are, right? You ever watch? It's great. I stand in the back. You know, it's awesome. But we're actually pretty good. We're actually pretty good for a suburban congregation. And it's always great to have, uh, you know, various people from, you know, other nationalities joining us because I don't know what it is with white people, but we're the frozen chosen. I just can't explain. But let me tell you, when the, when the blue whales, you know, as a congregation get rocking and rolling, get this now, they reach 188 decibels. Did you know that? That is as loud as a jet plane taking off. They reach 188 decibels. Now, what Paul Harvey said next, and listen to this, blew me away. He said that when the blue whales in the Pacific Ocean stop singing and they change songs and begin to sing this new song, the blue whales in the Atlantic Ocean stop singing and begin to sing the exact same song at the exact same time 
as the blue whales in the Pacific Ocean. Isn't that something? Don't tell me that God doesn't love harmony. I mean, it's almost as if there's a mastermind. And the mastermind is not only composing the blue whale's music, but he's also conducting it. And you know who that mastermind is? Jesus. Jesus. Jesus loves it when his creation moves in harmony and unity, and you need love to do it as human beings. And Jesus says, my church will love one another so that you are unified and the world will see me. You know, it has been said, listen to this now, please listen. The scandal of the ages has been the fragmentation of Jesus' church. This has been Satan's master strategy. The sin of disunity probably has caused more souls to be lost than all other sins combined. When we realize that one of Satan's greatest strategies to destroy you, I want you to think about this now, to destroy your family, to destroy his church, any organization is division and disunity. (sighs) Jesus said it like this in Luke chapter 11 and verse 17. Any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. Any house divided against itself will fall. Oh, please understand. That's why I, as a husband, more than anything, you know, you have the ability in your household. When you see division happening, you stop and you pray and you say, Satan, I resist you. I rebuke you. I reject you. You must leave here. You must flee. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, that you take control. You take control of this household. I mean, it changed time and time again our parenting and what was happening in our household. It is his chief strategy, or at least one of his very chief strategy, to destroy the church and any family and yourself is division and disunity. You know, let me say this. In America today, there are at least eight to 10,000 different denominations. In fact, there's over a hundred different Baptist denominations and that number is increasing. And if you talk to non-believers at all and, and you ask them, why don't you go to church? Number one reason is, <clears throat> well, okay. <laughs> Hypocrisy of Christians. Right on the heels of that is this though. How many of you heard this? They say, I- I've had people really upset and they'll go to me, they'll go, I am so sick and tired of you Christians, you right-wing Christians, you moralists. You're always telling us how to live our lives. But look at you guys. Look at all of the division. Look at all of the denominations you have. You guys can't even get along together. Who do you think you are? And I mean, they're angry. And you know, they got a point. They have. Oh, ouch. When I hear that, ouch. That hurts. And then I, I, I you know, I, I read the early church. No. And, and, and why? No, I, I, I go, why? Why is the early church impacting Rome? Why is it impacting the culture? And you look at something like Acts chapter 2. If you, if you have your Bibles, turn here. Just put it up on the screen, would you, Tim? Now, now listen to this. Here, here's why the early church is successful. All. Now, now, some of the believers, when they felt like it, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's truth. And to fellowship. 
That's not about, what about them giants? And there's nothing to talk about anyhow with the giants. But, but it's, it's talking about what God is doing and to sharing their meals together, the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep awe came over them, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs. So the, the, the apostles are doing their thing, validating the gospel message in the new scriptures, the New Testament. Now watch the believers. Now watch this, verse 44. And all the believers met together in one place. Now watch the miracle here. Here's the greatest miracle of all, okay? And they shared everything they had. They sold their property and possession, shared their money with those in need. That's agape love. That's agape love. They worshiped together at the temple whenever it was convenient, met in homes when they felt like it for the Lord's Supper. No, no, no. They were doing it every day. And they shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while while praising and enjoying the goodwill of it. Now watch this, the result of this. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Do you understand when we agape one another? No, I want you to understand. When we agape one another, that stops Satan in his tracks. The reason why we're so powerless, we're so divided, Satan has us. But if we began to unify, we began to genuinely love one another, the whole thing would be reversed. Reversed. Do you know what the pagans and Romans were forced to admit about the early Christians? You know what they said about them? See how they love one another. Well, let me challenge us. Not too long ago, there was a, a pastor, and he, you know, they had their worship time, and he got up to preach, and he opened his Bible up, looked out at the crowd. And as he was looking out at the crowd, he said, love one another. And that's all he said. Because you see, his congregation had a problem. Their education exceeded their experience. Their talk didn't match their walk. And so he says, love one another. And then he sat down. He just sat down. He didn't say anything else. He just sat down. And the congregation, like you, is just sitting there. And he waits for about 30 seconds. He gets back up, comes up to the pulpit, and he goes, love one another. And he sits down again. Now, this causes the congregation, you know, to stir. They begin to get nervous. And some are actually saying, when is the guy going to actually preach? I love that. When is he actually going to preach? And he's hearing this muttering all throughout the congregation. So he gets up a third time. He looks out at the crowd. He says, love one another. And he sits down again. There's a guy, God bless people in the front row, the spitting section. And there's a guy in the front row, and he leans over to the guy next to him, and he said, I think the pastor wants us to love one another. (laughs) No, I'm serious. He said, is there anything I can do for you? And don't ask me why, but the guy confessed that he was having financial difficulty. The first man pulls out his wallet, opens it up, And he says, how much do you need? And the spirit broke. I mean, he just broke. 
over that congregation. And people began talking. And people began crying. And people began praying. And people began giving. And for the next six months, that preacher preached on love one another. You would not think that would work. For the next six months. And you know what happened to that congregation? They changed. But here's the more interesting thing is, as they changed, you know what happened? They began to affect and impact those outside. There's nothing more powerful than when we... If if you want to know the greatest apologetic, the greatest evangelistic technique is if we really began to love each other. What do you think would happen if we just started doing that? No, I I did. I've been pastor here 24 years. What would happen if we actually took seriously just loving one another? What do you think might happen? I'll tell you one thing that's going to happen, 1 John 4.18. 1 John 4.18 has always fascinated me. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels fear. So, isn't that interesting? Perfect love casts out fear. Anybody here have a fear problem, anxiety problem? Liars. (laughs) You know why? Because we know about love, but see, as we start to practice it, fear, no, fear begins to vanish. Fear really, really begins to vanish. So I wanted to end this way. You don't have to do it. I have a prayer. It's kind of a radical prayer. In fact, the prayer's up on the screen. I, I have it here. I'm going to read it. If you want to say it out loud, it, it, it is radical. It's life-changing. And I would love it if we really began to practice this. So I'm, I'm just going to read If you want to read it with me, great. If not, that's fine too. Father, forgive me for my selfish motives and my envy of others. Lord Jesus, let my heart be broken like your heart. And may I humble myself to serve others as faithfully as you served us in your life, death, and resurrection. Let there be no division between me and my brethren. I pray that my kingdom would go so that your kingdom may come. May my will be broken so that your will may be done on earth as it is in heaven. I challenge you to begin to pray that every day. I wonder what would happen to ourselves, to our homes, to our church, and to the people in our sphere of influence if we actually began to just pray that every day. And God, the Holy Spirit, took it seriously and began to move in our lives. Father, love one another. What powerful words, three words. Love one another. And if we're honest, we can't do it. But you can do it through us if we allow you. And I'm asking, I I just sense Holy Spirit. 
I just sense even right now there's a fear and an anxiety. And I said to be broken by the blood and authority of Jesus Christ. I ask that we not allow fear to take over faith, that we would really believe, we would believe, love one another, would set us free and the people around us free. Oh, it's time for the church of Jesus Christ in America to raise up and start loving one another. Oh, Holy Spirit, move. Move in our hearts. Break the fear. And may you fill us with a fresh faith to believe these words. And I ask for this in your precious name. Amen. Hi, I'm Jeff Eckstein, one of the pastors here at Bethlehem Community Church. Welcome to our Sunday podcast, coming to you from the town of Bethlehem in upstate New York in the USA. Bethlehem Community Church is an independent, non-denominational, Bible-based evangelical church that includes people with backgrounds from many denominations. We believe that it is only through the love of the Father, the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on the cross, and the power of the Holy Spirit that we can come into a personal relationship with God. We are people truly seeking a deeper intimacy with God and with one another. If you'd like to know more about our church, please visit our website at www.bccdelmar.org. There you'll be able to find our statement of faith, as well as more about the ministry of Bethlehem Community Church. You'll also be able to submit prayer requests as we are called to pray with and for you. We also would love to hear your story and how you found our podcast and where you're listening from. So please visit our website and send us an email. Again, it's bccdelmar.org. That's bccdelmar.org. Thank you for joining us as we continue our pursuit of knowing God and making Him known.